Bullshit. The No BS Marketing Show is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audible.com slash nobs. Over 200,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. It's the No BS Marketing Show. I'm Dave Vastovich along with Annie Spiewak. Hey, Dave. <laughs> You're back. You're trying to surpass Carter as the uh, most appearances. I think he's at four. Yeah, actually, that happens to be my goal. This okay. is number three. So you're tied with T-Rod and Alec for second place. Okay. But uh, Carter's in first. So now i got to make sure. that Now you need to make sure you get Carter here when, when T-Rod's here. Oh, okay. So we get Carter here for the 250th and 300th, all that stuff. Sure. That all sounds right. good. So today's show, we're going to talk a little bit about leadership and communication because that's what the show is all about. And we're going to tie it back to mentors and coaches. And Annie, uh, I've said this once or twice, I think, on the show, but I always like to tell the story. Annie uh, is a Hall of Famer, was elected to the Hall of Fame <laughs> in, uh, in uh, St. Louis. She was uh, an all-time great on the lacrosse front. And um, who was it that you, it's the star of quarterback that you were inducted before? <laughs> Blaine Gabbert. Yeah, Blaine Gabbert. So they actually put her in before Blaine Gabbert, so... She's a Hall of Famer, so she's had a lot of coaches. I've had a lot of coaches. We've both done some coaching. Annie's already starting off as a coach on the lacrosse side in Mount Lebanon, so we'll talk a little bit about mentors and coaches, and I'm going to start off by talking about an ad I saw for Untuck It the other day, and Untuck It being a casual shirt company, casual apparel company for men based out of New York City, and it's taking advantage of the informality of the world we live in today, even in the workplace, and Untucked shirts are now a much more common. A lot of the Robert Grahams that I wear are designed to be untucked. And so untuck it. You said there's one here in Pittsburgh. Yes, in uh, Ross Park Mall. So there's an untuck it in Ross Park Mall. We'll have to book, hit them up to see if they'll do a sponsorship. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so for any of you audiophiles out there, you might hear the air conditioner in the background, but we don't care because it's so hot right now. <laughs> we normally shut the air conditioner off, but... Not today. It's 90 degrees, 90 plus here in Pittsburgh today. So why did I bring up Untuck It other than to give a free plug for a new store in Ross Park? It reminded me of a crucial lesson my mentor, one of my mentors, taught me 20 years ago. Uh, I've been blessed. I've had really four people that I can look at and say early in my career uh, mentored me. And uh, one of them was when I had just started a new job in marketing. I was recruited for a hospital from one healthcare system to another system to come in and help with this uh, turnaround. And this hospital system had uh, six days cash on hand, which even if you're not a finance person, let me just say that's not good. You know, not big on numbers, and that does not sound good. No, it basically means that you can function for six days if no money comes in. So I was brought in um, right before I got married, and so I'm about to get married, and I say to Darlene, hey, I'm going to take this new job. It's exciting. I'm going to do a turnaround. They're going to actually get double my salary. I'm like, whoa. So, so I saved that for the last part. And she was like, no, no, no. And I said, they're doubling my salary. She said, all right, we'll go shop. So uh, we're coming to this position. And about three months into it, I'm excited, doing really for that point the dream work of my career probably. And I come, the CFO who... Uh, was a friend of mine who actually 
introduced me to the CEO, says, I need you to come to the office. So I was out on the road, and I come flying back in. He goes, get in there. He closes the door, and he said, they just fired so-and-so, the CEO. So the CEO gets fired. And then the CFO, who's the only guy I really knew there, says to me, and I got some other news to tell you. I said, well, he said, I took another job. And I wanted to kick his ass at that moment. <laughs> I really did. I'm like, really? You, you, you convinced me to come here, and then you tell me that they fired the CEO, and you must have known because you started looking. And he said, no, no, I actually didn't. I stumbled across a job gets me closer to my son, and he was divorced and so forth. Wow. So now, to fill the gap at the top, the board of directors brought in an outside consultant who was going to serve as interim CEO, and he was going to assess the viability of the replacement candidates that were there. And there was one guy that really had been there a long time, and he was vying for the job when they chose the CEO who ended up getting fired. So these two guys were battling for the job. They chose one. The other one stays. And they then fired that guy. So on his first day, well, actually, it was actually different than that. So they have an event for this guy. They say, the new CEO is coming. All of the senior leaders have to come to this event. So we come to this event, and they introduce some of the board directors and senior management. There's me and four or five other VPs a bunch of medical staff leaders, and the board of directors. And he's walking around, he's shaking his hand, he puts his hand out, and I go, hi. I said, uh, any chance I can meet with you tomorrow? And he said, well, sure, I need to meet with a lot of people, and marketing and all the BD stuff you do is going to be a pretty significant role on the top and bottom line. Or, yeah, let's meet tomorrow. And I say, okay, what time? He said, how about 9 o'clock? So I come walking into this meeting. Second time I met him, I now met him for two minutes and then before, and I sit down, I go, hi. I, uh, I drew up a list of what I believe are the top 11 initiatives that you should focus on in your first 100 days. This guy looks at me like I have two heads. Who's this kid who, uh, you know, mid-20s telling him what his priorities should be for the next three months? But he goes, all right, let's go through the list. So I start going through this list, and at the end of the meeting, he goes, you know what? I think we're going to follow some of these. And it turned out that of the 11 items on my list, eight of them were also on his. That's when he nicknamed me Bullet because he said I was so fast off the draw. Meanwhile, the board introduces him to the guy that they think is going to be the next CEO. This guy had the dynamic duo, Annie, of Harvard, Yale. Yale undergrad, Harvard, MBA. And he's been at this hospital for 20 years. And he had some board support. There were some factions, uh, two factions on the board. Uh, in meetings, they tell the consultant they believe this guy might be able to turn things around. Uh, so they then say to the, the interim CEO, they say, okay, I want you to um, build your leadership team together, figure out, is there a clear number two? And if there's a clear number two, is that the person that might end up being the number one when you leave in a year and a half, two years? So he's going around trying to evaluate each person. He's taking a look at who's doing what. I started noticing that in meetings, he would often go, Bullet, where are you in on this? Where's your head on this? And I'd give him my opinion or whatever, and I noticed that a lot of times he was he was really liking what I was saying. So I'm getting to know this guy. I'm getting to feel comfortable with him. Uh, he's coaching me up, giving me ideas, telling me things I should try. And there's all this tension. You can There's a tension in the community because it's a very high-profile position. It's the largest employer. I remember when I first came to town, there were people coming up to me, and I was just they called me the hotshot MBA from the big city. And I was like, I'm not from the big city by any stretch of the imagination. So, yeah, word of mouth is. So uh, one day the interim CEO comes into work and our offices are all in a row. So he has to pass by my office to get to his. 
as he walks past my doorway, he stops, he takes one step back after walking. I can still see him walks past for dramatic effect, leans back, leans back, looks at me, and he says, hey, Bullet. I go, yeah. He goes, IUP1, Harvard, Yale, nothing. I go, huh? He clarifies, takes two steps, comes back in and says, I fired the other guy. You're it. IUP1, Harvard, Yale, nothing. That consultant, George Hartnett, went on to become my mentor and one of my closest friends in the business. And since this show is about mentors, I wanted to tell that story because he's played such a big role in my life. But many years later, after we hadn't seen each other in quite a while, it was probably six, seven years. He's based out of Chicago. And so we go to, he comes in, he flies his own plane in for our 13th anniversary. I say, hey, George, I, I'd like you to come to the 13th anniversary. He's like, you got a bullet. He says, where is it? And I said, well, you know, right, you should stay at the window. It's right by our offices. The party's actually just outside of the window on that grassy area. And he goes, I'm going to fly my own plane. So he flies in. And we're at the event. At the event, I recognized uh, a couple of my mentors actually attended. Um, and one of them actually called me that day and, and had a long conversation. He couldn't get in. So I had a great turn. I was really, really awesome. At the end of the night, he goes, all right, I'm staying at the Wyndham right next door. He said, I'll meet you tomorrow for brunch. So I come in the next day in typical Robert Graham, whatever. And George walks up to me with this disapproving look on his face. And he tugs on the shirt tail. He goes, Bullet, why is this untucked? What are you doing? And, uh, you know, he doesn't say exactly, you know, his, his feelings, but his implication is clear. Is, this isn't who, who you are. We're suit and tie guys. I say, George, you've been retired a few years, and you're, you're still a consultant, but you aren't in the boardrooms like you used to be, and you don't know that this is, this is the new normal. And we laughed about it, and life went on. But at that moment, it popped into my head again about that untuck it ad, because if you haven't heard of them, as I said, they're the new casual shirt company for men. Their angle is that untucked shirts fit so well, they look great whether they're untucked or not. Their slogan's clever, too. Everybody welcome, everybody welcome. As an, as an XL or 2XL guy, uh, I appreciate Untucket's declaration that looking good isn't just for mannequins or just for the little guys. So uh, we've come a long way from the days when you had to show up in a suit and tie if you wanted to be taken seriously in business. But while social acceptability factors like fashion trends and the perceived value of a college pedigree will always change over time, one thing stays the same. It's not what you look like or where you come from. IUP1, Harvard, Yale, nothing that truly matters to people. It's your results that tell the real story. And you can hear more of George Hartnett's wisdom about business and marketing on my No BS Marketing Podcast episodes 217 and 218. George, I'm still bullet in your eyes. I always love that nickname. He's a great guy, still an influence on my life. And that's what mentors can mean to people, Annie. And being young in your career, early in your career, I wanted to make sure you and I had a chance to have this conversation so you can give your perspective and we can talk and hopefully help our audience regardless of their stage of their career. Definitely. So I was in this class. We've talked about um, my professor before, John Locke. Yes, a real name. He is the Director of Student Life and Engagement at Robert Morris University, and he taught a graphic design class, very entry level, super basic, just enough that if you were to come to me and say, hey, I've got about 30 minutes, can you turn this around and get it on Facebook? I'd say, sure. And so I was at this really weird time. I just stopped playing lacrosse and I felt kind of lost, but at the same time, I felt really free and I was really excited to new opportunity. And I'll never forget, he gave us 
on the very last day of class, he gave us 10 things that you need to do, whether you like it or not, if you want to be successful. And then underneath it, it was something about, you know, success is different to everyone. And I'll never forget, there were things like, try things that aren't chicken fingers from restaurants. Be kind. But one of my favorite ones was, get a mentor, tell them, will you be my mentor? And make it official. Learn from someone. And so as I started to close that year out, I wrote him a, a thank you letter for everything I'd done for me in that class personally and academically and professionally. And I said at the end, will you please be my mentor? And so since then, through college, my junior and senior year, he really mentored me. We're still in touch. We talk a lot. I picked his brain over some design stuff that, you know, had me stomped on some of my freelance stuff. I also had another mentor in college, Dr. Jabber, that we've talked a lot yes. about. Yes. And the one thing um, that those two have in common, and now you, as both my boss and my mentor, have in common, are that you make me work so hard. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you always say perfect is the enemy of good, but you, you really, all three of you make me want to go above and beyond that. And I, and I realized very early that mentorship isn't some, like, here's this Bible full of lessons and answers that I have of life. It's, yeah. it's you really working with me and so as the mentee I always appreciate that you make me go outside the comfort zone get comfortable with being uncomfortable yes and you know what when you say that line that I say all the time get comfortable with being uncomfortable the other day I said I didn't want to do something and Bonita texted me back and said get comfortable with being uncomfortable <laughs> see look you have an influence on everybody here she, she, she got me on that that was good well I, I appreciate how hard you work because you can tell that and everyone, Benita, everyone that works here, Paul, Mike Gaddy, of course, a machine, Mike Maz, a machine, Allie and Millie, too. There's just so many talented people. So that's what's great for a person already in your group because you're going to learn from each and every one of them plus me. So I appreciate you seeing me that way, and I'll do everything I can. And I don't mean to, uh, to, to make you work so hard, but I just see potential in people. And one of the things as a, as a coach, when I've coached basketball, sometimes the player or even the parent would get mad, and I would say to them, I know what he's capable of doing. I see yes. where he's going to be and I see it before them and the parents don't often understand that and so when I'm pushing on certain things and I've had a few that have one actually plays for Pitt and he got it and so did his parents and they were just a pleasure because they understood that my being hard on him was helping him. They understood that I saw him for what he was going to be whereas other coaches didn't. Other coaches saw these negatives and there's a second one on that very same team who I was so hard on because I knew he had the potential and he was just growing into his body. And so you probably get this when you're coaching these a player that's 13, 14, 15, even 16. When they're growing into their body, the parents don't understand why a coach is pushing a certain thing because they're not there yet. And so you have yeah. to really push that. And so, you know, I moved from mentoring to coaching, but I know you coach as well. So I just thought I'd turn that on too. Definitely. I mean, as a player, and I know you can agree with this, is that there are days where you're just so frustrated because you feel like your coach is just on you. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, I remember thinking, they're on me because they know I can do it. They care. And the minute they're not on me, the minute I'm done. Yeah. And I think that I use that in my coaching style. Um, my coaching style has changed a bunch over you know three years. But it's totally true. I focus on those players, and I'm sometimes the hardest on them. Discipline, discipline, discipline. Because I know they can do it. I know they can dig deep. Mm -hmm. I know they can go the extra mile and get to where they really want to go. 
I had one of my major mentors uh, said to me the one time was the probably the best line anyone said to me because we're similar that we both love sports. So a lot of my life had revolved around sports and. Uh, as, a, as a kid and as a young adult and now as a dad and my sons were all actively involved in sports so I was uh, involved with these two radio stations that were doing a turnaround and part of what I did was we didn't have a lot of resources so I just said okay I'll, I'll build a sports department It'll just be me my brother two of my buddies and we'll go do sports and we started doing sports in the marketplace and selling the sports and and but I was also really into writing and speaking about what was going on in the NFL NBA and so forth and this mentor said to me, uh, he goes, let's go out to dinner. So we got the dinner. He's actually, he goes, I want to go to one of your spots. So I remember I took him to the gingerbread man in Johnstown. And I, <laughs> I was probably, you almost could call me the house DJ there. I would do two nights a week there. And so I come in one night. I wasn't DJ and I come in with him. And I was just a young punk, so I didn't know anybody. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to be cool. I'm walking here 23, 24 years old. And everyone's going to know me like this dude cared. You know, he's like, really? Like, that's going to impress this guy who's the owner of 16 radio station. But, I, you know, I'm 23. I didn't know any better. So I walk in. We sit down. Everybody's glad-handed me. Mass, what's up? You know? So we sit down, and we start talking. And he goes, well, where do you want to go? And I said, actually, I'm not sure. I said, I, I know I, I can lead and so forth, but I'm just not sure what to do. What advice would you give? And he said, well, I'm going to give you some advice that you're not going to like. And he said, I can't remember exactly how he said it, but he just said something to the effect of sports is cool. Sports is fun. So when you're emphasizing it a bit too much, he said, it's not your life. You're not full-time in sports. You're letting that detract from your career. And I looked at him like he was crazy. I said, oh, that's bullshit. And he said, no, I'm not telling you to stop. He said, but if you took three to five hours of what you're doing there and applied this to your career, three to five hours a week will make a difference. And Mike Gaddy, when he hears this podcast, is going, son of a bitch, that's where they came from. But you'll hear the speech, too. I give this speech to everyone that works with me. I say, when times are tough and when you think you're struggling, think of the three to five hour thing. And it's this. If you ever get behind, you really only need three to five extra hours a week for about six weeks. And you'll feel so much different. And you just have to do it. There's certain times in your life where you have to say, shit, I can't do exactly what I want to do for this next month or two. Then it'll be good again for a month or two or three. But then you got to give the three to five hours more than you want to. And that three to five hours is what separates the top tier people in any company. It's funny that you said, if you would just take that focus or you're focusing too much on sports. I had that moment myself um, in college when I stopped playing. It was, I wasn't focusing on my body, taking care of my back, taking care of myself. But most importantly, taking care of what I actually wanted to do. You are not going to make money off of women's lacrosse. <laughs> and that's okay. Unfortunately, you know, you won't make money much as any athlete because it's so competitive yes. to get into. And I remember I was going through all this stress, like physically, emotionally, and my surgeon said, you can't do this anymore. And I was lost because I thought, oh my gosh, I can finally take that time and focus it on what I really want to do. And so it was a lot more than three to five hours, but, but it totally changed my perspective. And so it got me aligned with where I wanted to be and who I wanted to be, what I wanted to be doing. And so I'm excited to take that three to five hours. And it's not forever. And this is the key point. There will be times that you get behind because of life. Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot going on in my life right now with a couple of things outside of work. That has made me stressed because I lost that three to five hours. I'll get it back 
I'll get it back whenever this next two months things are going to change. I'll get it back. Mike has two young kids. I remember when Alec and Brevin were five and three. Everything becomes a lot of work. So when he when he gets a little behind, he just needs his three to five hours. And I don't know what your hours you work. And I don't care what anyone's hours they work are. But if you work 30 every week or 40 or 45, when you're behind a little bit, you probably need to go to 48 for about three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> and it's probably only three weeks, you know. But people then get agitated because they think you're saying, I want you to work more. And that's what Mike's so great because he was patient with me. And it took me years to explain what I'm saying to you now in 10 minutes is, when I used to tell Mike that, I wasn't saying, Mike, I expect you to work 70 hours. That's not what I expect. There might be some weeks where you work 60. And another, most of you work 40 to 45, maybe 48. But there might be a few where you have to get that extra three to five hours. Yeah, dig and, deep. And it changes the game. Yeah, I definitely see that. And I, I'm excited to apply that personally yeah. and that mindset because I think that a lot of our stress comes from us overthinking it. Yes. Instead of just taking it. The first steps, that hardest step, the first step's always the hardest, but the most important. Just being like, I just need to focus three to five hours this week. Doesn't have to yep. be all today. Doesn't yep. have to be all tomorrow. But just take those extra steps this week and keep going until I can breathe again. It's a great mindset. And the great thing about being a mentor and coach of someone is the legacy. John Dame of Dame Media, a Vistage chair, was that mentor that I mentioned that I took him to the gingerbread man. Here I am, decades later, mentioning him on a podcast that he made an impact that's impacting Mike Gaddy, you, Bonnie, everybody else. George Hartnett has impacted you guys. You know, him calling me bullet, you know, got me fired up. And there's things I say to you that get you fired up. Oh, yeah. uh, you, laugh, you laugh when it's good stuff. Good stuff's one good of my... Stuff. I don't even know what I'm saying. I say, good stuff. But um, that's the thing. That's the beauty of coaching and mentoring is you're going to impact people. And then they impact other people. And the legacy goes on and on. And you've got leadership skills in you. And you've got desire that's unusual. And we're really lucky. We're a small company, so I know that it wouldn't be able to stay this way if we tripled in size. But think about the way the dedication is of the entire team. We don't have a slacker. When, when a slacker's here, they tend to uh, opt out themselves. Definitely. I mean, that was something <laughs> I was telling Sophie when, you know, you were saying, we need some boot campers in here. Yeah. Well, and you said, we need someone that's dedicated. They're fired up and they're hungry. And when I talk about, you know, everyone always says, how's the new job? You like it? And I think that people always kind of hold their breath because it's like, what if you hate it? I'm like, no, this is great. Everybody works hard. They work together. They work for each other. Yep. And I think that that's what's different here is that everybody really cares about you as their leader and as solutions as their company and their clients. And they care a lot about each other. That's it's very clear here. Everybody does care about each other. Well, thank you, Annie, for close to Carter. we got to get him on. Though. He's going to be mad when I tell him you're nipping at his heels. Watch out, Carter. I'm coming for you. And to our audience, thanks for joining us for the No BS Marketing Show brought to you by Audible.com. Go to audible.com slash no BS to get a free download and 30-day free trial access to over 200,000 titles. Visit MassSolutions.biz for show notes plus additional marketing and messaging resources. Sign up for the No BS Marketing Weekly Update to receive timely, valuable ideas to improve your marketing and transform your message. To sign up again, that's MassSolutions.biz. Remember, ask yourself, what's the big idea? And build your story around the answer. It's all about bold solutions, no BS.